0: A chance for Muhlenbergs. They score! And the Mules score. Scores! Three in a row for the Mules. Duke has to put it up at the buzzer. It's good! And
1: the Mules win it.
0: Coming to you from Allentown, Pennsylvania, welcome to the Muhlenberg Mules Podcast. Each episode, we'll talk to the coaches, staff, athletes, and alumni who make up the Muhlenberg Athletics family and are proud to call themselves Mules. And our guest this week is Jill Listener. Jill is a senior thrower on the Muhlenberg women's track and field team. She currently ranks third on the Mule's all-time performance list in the Hammer. In 2019, Jill co-founded the group Muhlenberg Body Positive, which meets every week and focuses on body acceptance, self-love, and relationships with food. So welcome to the Muhlenberg Mule's podcast, Jill.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we're not really here to talk so much about track and field as we are mm-hmm. with one of your other activities. But while we're at it, just talk about how awesome and exciting it was to get back to competing this past weekend. You went down on uh, on Friday to her sinus and, and threw the hammer. And then most of your teammates got to compete at home on Saturday. It was it was a little different than what we're used to from track meets, but it it just had to feel great to be back out there again.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's usually how how it goes when you throw the hammer and you don't do anything else. You compete on Friday night and then you get to watch the rest of your team on Saturday, but it was amazing. It was a little nerve wracking because that was my first time. And, and I think about two years throwing the hammer, I threw the weight last winter, but then we were sent home because of course, this, this absolutely insane pandemic occurred, but this is my first time in almost two years throwing the hammer and it was super exciting, but it felt like a moment. Everyone was kind of practicing, for leading up to the moment you've been thinking about for so long, like, when will I be able to get out there? And you finally got that answer. But it was, it was wonderful. And I loved being with my team. The throwers are a pretty small group, but I, I love being with them and competing with them. Always, always feels special. And we're always really connected. And it's not only the competition part, but just being able to be back with, with my team and also talk and have different discussions with other teams that are there too, because they're going through the same thing. And it's all part of healthy competition, but it was absolutely amazing
0: you had a personal best in the, in the hammer.
1: I did. So, yeah, um, those, those, when that... I, yeah. When I first threw the hammer my sophomore year, I, that was when I first learned it. I had like barely any idea what I was doing. I had the footwork and the technique down, but I, I had, I didn't have a good sense of how I should be throwing to be really successful. I had a lot more nerves at that point. It was, and was always super stressed. And I went in I went in this meet, like, you know, I'm a senior, I have nothing to lose. This is my I'm on my almost like 13th season of track and field in my life. And it's about it's about having fun at this point. And I was like, I'm just gonna go and have fun. And I threw a major personal best, which is something I was hoping for, but didn't fully expect. Because like I said, it's been it's been a long time since I threw.
0: Yeah, well, uh, congrats to you for that. And then, you know, of course, uh, have about a month until the conference championships and, and, and more time to, uh, to set more personal bests and, and throw the hammer even farther. So that's great. It was, it was just awesome. It was a beautiful sunny day too. I'm, I'm sure that, that helped everybody's mood on, on Saturday at home. And uh, it, it's just great to see everybody back doing what they love. Absolutely. One of the things you love is this group that you started called Body Positive at Muhlenberg started in the fall of 2019. Tell us a little bit, Jill, about about how this whole thing got started. started from a very, very personal experience of yours.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a super vulnerable person and I like to just let everything that's happened to me or occurred in my life kind of show. I wear everything on my sleeve because it's part of who I am and why not show who I am. So I was struggling with disordered eating for a long time, but didn't get a formal diagnosis until um, the summer of 2019, where I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa restrictive subtype. I went into a really intense form of therapy and treatment where I had very little control over the food I was eating and other people were, were doing that control for me. So I had to have my mom live with me in Allentown at that time. And I wasn't able, I wasn't able to do track at that time either. And it was in the fall. So we were doing captain's practices so I couldn't participate. And I had to, I had to tell my coaches, I had to tell my teammates, which was, which was something really, really uncomfortable and, and, and super hard at the time for you to tell your teammates, like, I'm in this really vulnerable place. I'm in not a good place right now to be competing in sports. And you have to tell them because your teammates are like, where, where is she? What is she doing? And you have to let them know. But basically, I was, I was in this really low point with my, with my eating disorder and my, and my struggle with my eating disorder. And from that, I was like, I want to do something that's going to help other people that are experiencing the same thing as me. I want to start something on this campus where people don't feel alone kind of in the way that I was, I was feeling. So I started looking on different websites. I looked at DeSales website. I looked at Lehigh. I looked at Lafayette. I looked at Moravian and I was like, does anyone have a group where people just come together and they share their experiences about, about their eating disorder, about their body image, about mental health around all these topics. And I couldn't find anything really solid. And I was like, I was really shocked at first, but then I was like, you know, I'm not that shocked because it's a pretty taboo topic that people don't talk about very often. People don't really go out and they're like, Hey, I have an eating disorder. People don't share that because diet culture is a huge thing in this country and it's celebrated. And if you're seen kind of trying to lose weight, people commend you for that. And it's not always a positive thing for me. It came from a place of mental illness, but I was like, from from this kind of stance and this idea, I was like, I'm going to start something where people can come together. And I started sending emails to people at the counseling center, people in all different parts of of Muhlenberg. And I was like, how how can I do this? And I just started communicating with people and they led me on this path to Tim Silvestri, who's the head of the counseling center and him and my dear and passionate friend, Renee Levine, who is my partner in crime in this. We all came together and we were like, let's start this group. In around like November of 2019, we had our first meeting and one person came.
0: By the way, Diane, Just to interrupt you for a second, Jill, Tim Silvestri is a former Muhlenberg track athlete also. He is. He
1: is. He always makes sure to tell me that he is such a standout person, but also supports athletes like no other within counseling and supports the mental health and overall health of athletes. And that's why I also have such a great relationship with him. And he has been a phenomenal help to me in, in creating this safe space for students. But to continue, we had one person come to our first meeting and I was like, "Oh my God, this is gonna fail." I was like, "This is this was a dumb idea." I don't know why I did this, and I had all those self doubts in my head. And I was like, "What am I? What am I really doing?" And a few weeks ago, I think we had almost thirty people come and share their own stories, share their own personal growth and their own struggles and failures that everyone celebrated un- enough and uplifted. It's it's been a really exciting journey, and we've we've grown a lot. And I never thought it would get to this point where I would be talking about it on a podcast, or even have more than a few people come to the meetings each week.
0: Yeah, I mean that's awesome to go from to go from one your first meeting to you know to almost thirty right now. And, and, and you mentioned like there was a little self doubt there when you had that first meeting, you know. And I guess that's part of what. What you guys try to address in, in in your meetings is not just body positive, but just positivity in general. On on your Instagram, you talk about self-love um, and that being a big component of it as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Self-love is a huge part of it, but also we we try to enforce something where it's like if you don't love yourself all the time, or you have that self-doubt sometimes, or you're just not feeling it one day, that's okay too. We all can't have it all together every day. That's not, that's not something that's possible. We have ups and downs, like a roller coaster, of course, for anybody. And I think in a place like Muhlenberg, especially where we have so many academically inclined students, we have so many successful athletes. We have so many people in general that are striving for their best. And so many people that because of that deal with a lot of mental health issues, whether it is on the track or the field or the court or whatever they're doing, or it's in the classroom or anywhere in between, they strive for that perfection. But a lot of people don't realize that it's okay to not have that perfection at every moment of your life. Sometimes you need to like sit down and cry or scream into a pillow or do something else to to let your anger out and be like today is not my day and that's something that we try to enforce in body positive a lot whether that is like you are having a hard time achieving recovery and your eating disorder or you look in the mirror and you're like I don't love myself today not every day is going to be like that where you find absolute love in your body and and the way you look but we're trying to have people change that mindset where they can say it's okay if i don't feel that but i know i'm still worthy of love and happiness and acceptance from the people around me and acceptance from myself and those are the kind of things that we try to we try to enforce every week at our meeting
0: yeah you talked about how the diet culture you know you see it a lot out there and and i imagine a lot of that is what contributes to a lot of the 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 struggles that people go through it seems like Everywhere you look, people are promoting dieting, losing weight, you know, being happy with yourself, things like that, that some of those things don't necessarily come naturally. Sometimes you have to, you have to work to get to some of those things and they're not right for everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So diet culture is something that we address all the time, too, because not only is it a really harmful component of society, but it is super triggering to people who are recovering or currently in the midst of their eating disorder. So you go on Instagram, for example, and you're scrolling through any page and someone is like, oh, buy this new tea that's going to make you lose 10 pounds in a week or buy this um, like this diet book or something, and how to eat healthy. And that all of that is so harmful because it tells people that the way they are and the way that they're happy with themselves is incorrect. And that even if they look in the mirror and they're like, I love myself, someone is telling them that they shouldn't. And it's all about you and how you feel inside. It's not about what anyone else is telling you you should look like or you have to look like in society or what society accepts you as. You have to accept yourself. And that's only one component of why diet culture is so problematic. Diet culture also enforces a lot of the experience as experiences I had when I was in the worst part of my eating disorder. And a lot of people will be sucked into diet culture and then fall into that trap and kind of move down that path towards uh, disordered eating habits. Not everyone, but a lot of people do, and it creates a really harmful situation. And I myself am an intuitive eater. So that means whenever my, I learned a lot of skills and coping mechanisms that whenever my brain starts to think about food or I start to crave food, I just go eat it. I don't think about how many calories are in it. I don't think about the content of it. I don't think about the portion control. I just go eat it. And that is something that has helped me a lot, but society tells you that that is wrong and that you shouldn't have carbs, you shouldn't have sugar, you shouldn't have fat. It's, it's constantly confusing messages that society is sending to us. And that is a big part of body positive as well to fight what society is telling us and, and tell us that if you wanna have french fries in the dining hall, eat the french fries. If you wanna have pizza, eat the pizza because it, it's okay and it's gonna make you happy and, and food is going to keep you fueled, especially in athletics. It's something bake- that's so important.
0: Or the bagel bombs, right? You gotta eat the bagel bombs. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all all of the things, all of the delicious food in GQ and in the dining hall is super. Is it all has a place in your diet, regardless of what the food is. And a lot of people disagree with me in that, but I think there's there's always a place where you can find yourself eating junk food, and it can be okay. And I don't even like using the term junk food to be honest, because food shouldn't have bad or good in front of it or junk. In front of it, it's just food and it's just things that are delicious and make you happy and make you feel full and content and give you energy for the day.
0: And also, I imagine, so you don't feel like you're depriving yourself of something that you really want to have just because somebody is telling you, you shouldn't be having this.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's a big component as well, because the more I found that I restricted myself and deprived myself of a lot of those foods that I really loved, the more I found myself going down down that hole. And now I just, I eat what I want, when I want, how I want. And I don't, I don't find myself confined in the lines of like breakfast at this time, lunch at this time, dinner at this time, it's whatever I want is what I want. And it makes me happy. I think it's also contributed to a lot of the improved athletic performances that I've had, because it's made me a happier person. It's made it's made my abilities go beyond what I thought and and helped my mental health tremendously.
0: On your uh, Instagram account, which is at Muhlenberg, B-O-D-Y-P-O-S, Muhlenberg, short for Muhlenberg Body Positive, it talks about body acceptance, self-love, and relationships with food, you know, which is wh- what we talked about. But, you know, there, there's another type of diet too. you know, the type of things you put into your body is it, it, not always food. Like there's, there's things, you know, the people you hang out with, the people you, you associate with the people in your lives, you know, that's part of your diet too. Even if it's, if it's not just food, the things that you put into your body, you know, emotionally. And I imagine that's a big part of what you discuss in your meetings as well Is is having, you know, the right influences in your, in your life.
1: Absolutely. I love the way you phrase that too. Like, like that's, that's part of your diet, the things you take in. And I always talk about how just like food is energy. That's a different form of energy that you take in. You are kind of absorbing, but also giving off energy based on the people around you. And if you have a really great support system around you, then that energy is always flourishing and it's always flowing. But if you find yourself surrounded with people that are not that their messages and their thought process doesn't align with yours, then it's really hard to, to take in that energy and feel and feel good also releasing that same energy towards those people. And I think that's a major concept we talk about in body positive specifically because a lot of it is circulated around families. Not so much when you're on a college campus because your the contact with your family is limited, especially now because of the travel restrictions of COVID. But when people are at home, especially on breaks, we maintain our body positive meetings during winter break. So people can have that safe space to resort to when they're at home. A lot of families, a lot of people's parents don't don't tend to understand the struggles that they might have with food because our generation is so different than than those that existed before us. And the way that we think about food, the way that we think about bodies and body image, and the way that our generation and like Gen, Gen Z is trying to change the script about how bodies look or how they should look and how society perceives them is so different than the environment that our parents grew up in and parents have a really hard time. And I get a lot of comments uh, that people really struggle with their parents saying, are you really going to eat that? Or are you really going to have a second portion? Or maybe you should go work out today. And someone is like, why should I? I didn't even think that I need to do these things, or I need to even pay attention to them until my mom or my dad or my guardian or my parent said something like this. And it really influences the way young adults think about what they are putting into their body and all of that energy and it influences their energy. And that is also such a major component of what we talk about parents and families because that is something that's harder to control. If you have a friend that's not treating you that well, you can talk to that friend and be like, hey, this isn't really working for me. I think we should distance. That's not so easy, but sometimes (laughs) it's doable if you really feel like you're, you're in a negative or toxic environment with a friend. But with a family, people can't, can't really escape that. And it makes it so much more difficult. And that's why it's such a, a common thing that we hear at our meetings.
0: Right. And you mentioned right when we started that you're, you're very open and and you wear everything on your sleeve. I imagine there's people you've encountered in, in your meetings who maybe were reluctant to, um, to even attend the meeting or, or share some of the struggles that, that they were going through. What, how do you encourage people to, you know, to be open if they're not, you know, naturally as open as you are?
1: Yeah. So there are a lot of people that aren't as open as I am, but that doesn't mean that's a problem. You know, the way I'm open I've noticed is something that not a lot of people are comfortable with and that's okay. And that doesn't mean they're any less or their story is worth any less if they don't tell it, it just means it's, it's theirs and it belongs. It belongs with them and they don't feel comfortable sharing it. But I found the more that I share with people the more other people will share with me and feel comfortable sharing with others. And that's a big reason why I decided to be so vulnerable in my life and in body positive, because the more I talk about my story and tell people how I'm feeling on a day-to-day basis, the more they feel comfortable saying, you know, I'm feeling the same way and I don't have to be ashamed of it anymore because it's who who we all are. Like I tell people all the time that I had an eating disorder and I recovered from it and I still struggle, the struggle never goes away or that I'm also a survivor of sexual assault which contributed a lot to my mental health. That's something I don't hide either. And I tell a lot of people and often when I tell people they they find themselves so uncomfortable because a lot of the things that have happened to me in my life are taboo, um, are things people don't wanna talk about. But I just think there are millions of people every day who have had the same experiences as me and are just not talking about it and suffering in silence. So the more I talk about it, the more the world will talk about it, and the more our community at Muhlenberg will talk about it, and people don't have to feel alone or ashamed of their experiences anymore. And the, just by telling my truth is the way that I encourage people to tell theirs, but also make sure people know that just because they're not comfortable saying anything, or if they just want to sit and listen and body positive, that's okay too. And I always tell people they can have their camera off and they can use like a fake name if, if they want to stay anonymous. Because all of that is fine. I want people to be able to take out of body positive what they want. They don't have to take everything, but they can just take bits and pieces that resonate with them.
0: You know, y- your, your name's not spelled that way, but you're a good listener, right?
1: <laughs> yes, I do get that a lot. People have yeah. spelled my name that way. By mistake, a few times they think it's listener, but- I always appreciate it and I try I try my best to to embody my last name.
0: <laughs> so, so you are a listener and a listener. maybe, maybe this is what you, you were meant to do.
1: <laughs> maybe, who knows, but it's something <laughs> I'm definitely passionate about for sure.
0: So now this is your group currently. It's, it's all Muhlenberg students.
1: Yeah, it's open to the entire Muhlenberg community. And it's also, it's like co-facilitated by the Muhlenberg Counseling Center. So Tim Silvestri and a few of the interns from the Counseling Center come to the meeting every week. They kind of come and go, but a lot of the the interns enjoy listening to a lot of the students and what they have to say. But it's open to, to all of the students, regardless of their involvement in any different activity. People are open to come for five minutes of the meeting, the whole meeting. They can come every single week or just... Once every few weeks, I'm, I tell people that they're not restricted to any amount of participation and they can do whatever they want. So
0: now you're about to graduate Muhlenberg in a little bit less than two months. That, that's kind of scary, huh?
1: Oh, very scary. <laughs> abs- absolutely frightening.
0: <laughs> um, and, and I know Emily, who is your, the third person of your group, is kind of primed to take over the Muhlenberg aspect of it um, after you and your other partner graduate.
1: She's a junior as well. So oh, okay. she, so Emily and Renee will, will take over. Okay. Um, so Emily will be taking my place and Renee will maintain her same position. So the two of them will take, will take over my position as soon as, as soon as I graduate. And I have a lot of trust and faith in them to, to do, to do everything I've been doing and maintain my message.
0: Do you have an interest in continuing to do something like this after you graduate? Cause issues like this face, come up with people of all ages, you know, obviously you've been targeted on the, College student environment for obvious reasons, but um, you know these are the types of things that can affect people of all ages. Any any interest in continuing your work with us?
1: That's a really tough question, because I so right now I'm a biology major and I have a double minor in sustainability studies and Latin American and Caribbean studies, and a lot of my passion has been in the STEM fields and in science. And I'm also a research student currently finishing my my senior thesis in biology and doing a lot of my own independent research, but. My number one goal through my life, or the last couple years at least, at Muhlenberg has been to be an educator of some capacity. I've always wanted to educate people because I always ask myself, what is the best way to create change in this world? How can you influence people the most? And I think the people that have influenced me the most are those that have educated me, regardless of whether that's in a science class or in a history class or I'm also a peer educator on campus. I am in uh, Muhlenberg College Voices of Strength, which is a sexual and gender violence peer ed group. And even all of the educators with me in that group have influenced me tremendously throughout my time at Muhlenberg. And I'm not sure to what capacity I will be continuing body positive in, in, in a format of a career. But I know that regardless of where I am in my life, I want people to feel comfortable coming to me if they have a situation that has to do with their body image or their mental health or their self-image and that they can come to me. And I think the people that I've often felt most comfortable going to in my life were a lot of my inspiring educators, especially at Muhlenberg College, who've had their doors open for me and allowed me to just come and sit in their office and, and, and share my truth with them that's where I am right now with my career goal, but the pandemic has kind of turned life upside down. I, I applied to graduate schools in biological anthropology. I got accepted to one of them. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I, a big thing I've been thinking about is, is a gap year and being able to, to take a gap year and give myself a mental break and, and pursue some of my other passions that I have in my life, maybe like body positive, or maybe in, in other facets, and then return to my education. Cause I've always, I've always wanted an advanced degree to some extent, but I have a lot of time and I'm really young and I know a lot of people that change their careers at 40 or 50 years old and I want to be able to experience everything and have no regrets and and make the greatest changes in, in my community as I can, whether that's my community at Muhlenberg or beyond that.
0: So for people who are maybe going through some of these struggles who aren't Muhlenberg students or maybe are a little bit older or, or adults, whatever. What are some resources or what's some advice you can give to them on how to maybe how to help themselves and and get some of the stuff that you try to do um, for Muhlenberg students through Muhlenberg Body Positive?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would encourage people at other universities and other communities to start something similar and just be able to reach out to, to people in their community and, and talk to them. And um, establish that open conversation and safe space about these topics, but also it's not it's not easy to get help when you have an eating disorder. It's it might have been one of the hardest things I I had to do, and it wasn't something I really had a choice with. The people around me started to notice the the path I was going down, and and they stepped in, and I am thankful for that every day because I'm not sure I'd be here if it wasn't for them. But it's all about surrounding yourself with those people and just take everything day by day and being forgiving of yourself and there are a lot of people that don't have the abilities and the resources i had in getting my recovery and going to the hospital and being able to be in a space surrounded by a lot of medical professionals who helped me and psychological and psychiatric professionals that helped me and it's it's really hard to find those resources and so much of this falls back on a lot of social justice topics about being able to acquire resources. I have immense privilege as a white person um, in this world. And I, I think every day about how there are so many people, people of color, people of different religions, people of different economic backgrounds that cannot afford or cannot locate these resources. And it's about as, as a white person, as a person with privilege, being able to speak out for those other people. And the way I try to do that is I actually have my own personal Instagram account where I talk about body positive things. So when I first started my recovery journey from anorexia, I, I journaled and I still, I still journal. It's one of my best resources. I signed every journal entry. I would talk about all the terrible things that I thought were happening to me and how unfortunate everything was. But At the end, I would always say step by step, day by day, we will get through and I will get to the other side of this. And so I have an account called like, the the Instagram handle is like Jill step-by-step, Jill underscore step-by-step, I think. And on that, I am extremely vulnerable and I put a lot of informational resources out for people. And I try to talk about eating disorders and body image, through lenses of the LGBTQIA community, through lenses of racism, through other social justice lenses, how eating disorders and body image can be influenced for survivors of sexual assault. And I also just post um, vulnerable pictures of myself that people would typically find uncomfortable, but it makes a lot of people feel really safe. I have found that I, am just being who I am unapologetically, and I have gained over a thousand followers on that account over the past, I started it last August. So it's been less than a year. And it is something I also do as a kind of social media journal in addition to my physical journal. And I have gotten so many positive responses on it. And, and it's a way that I try to reach the the greater, the greater community past Muhlenberg. And I have ended up talking to people from Germany, Australia, the UK, um, and they'll message me and, and ask me questions. And I even was interviewed for, for another person's um, graduate school project about eating disorders through that Instagram account. And it's given me fantastic connections. And I have zero regrets about doing that or about posting who I am unapologetically And it. And it helps me reach people I never thought I'd be able to reach before.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful, Jill. Uh, great, great work that you're doing. Um, you know, obviously you're reaching people, not just in your in the small Muhlenberg community but but in the in the worldwide community as well so terrific work and and um you know congratulations on on all you've accomplished so far and um you know you talked about educators and and how educators have you know impacted you and goes without saying you're having an impact you know on a lot of other people's lives so good on you for that before we wrap up with you jill we have we end all of our podcast with some getting to know you type questions and since you're very vulnerable and you and you you put yourself out there, you should have no trouble answering these questions, honestly, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, this is probably a little
0: easier than, uh, than most of the stuff that you do uh, on a regular basis. But let's start with what's your favorite quote?
1: Okay, so my favorite quote is probably, I will not let the fact that I cannot do everything keep me from doing what I can. Because I think that is something I try to embody every day. I try each day to wake up. And do everything, and be the absolute best person I can be. But sometimes I just can't do everything. But knowing I can't do everything will never stop me from doing something. So it's always just about taking those little steps and being persistent in your life. That's the quote I try to I try to think about often.
0: Maybe you should do the the decathlon before you end your track career, right? If you wanna wanna try to do a little bit of everything.
1: Oh my! Oh, I've done I've done the pentathlon before which is the, or the Heptathlon, not the Pentathlon. Oh my goodness. I'm losing my mind and it's only (laughs) Wednesday. So my freshman year, I did the Heptathlon, which is seven events in track and field. I have practiced and competed in almost every event in track and field, except for the pole vault. I've never competed or practiced the discus. I have practiced, but never competed and everything, almost everything else. And the steeplechase I've never done either, but almost every event in track and field i have practiced to some capacity and i also used to be a track and field coach so i truly do in athletics and other things <laughs> try to do everything and know that sometimes it is just not possible
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we all have our limits right mhm what is the best way a person can spend their time
1: this is a really tough question These i you said that these questions might be easier than things i do every day but those are things that come really naturally to me. And these are, these are not things I always think about, but I think the first thing that comes to mind is just happiness. If you're doing something that makes you happy and you're doing something you're passionate about, something that you love, something that you don't, you don't have any regrets, then I think that's the best way you can spend your time. If that means playing video games all day <laughs> and never going outside, but you're happy and you're successful in your own way, then do it. If that means running, Fifty miles every day and that makes you happy and that makes you feel good and that's how you're spending your time, then do that. Everyone is so different and the world is so subjective. Nothing is fact almost in this world. And it's like, whatever, whatever makes you feel good is worth doing.
0: All right. Great answer, uh, Jill. Next question. How do you get ready for meets?
1: So my team thinks I am absolutely bizarre in the way (laughs) I get ready for meets. So like I said, I've done every, almost every track and field event. I've practiced in some capacity. I used to be a cross country runner. I used to be a sprinter, a long jumper, a triple jumper. I've done it all. So all the other throwers are notoriously known for never wanting to run or do anything. (laughs) Throwers are usually just like, eh, I'll like skip around a little and then I'll I'll do my drills as my warm up. (laughs) I will go run almost three miles before I compete. And everyone is like, aren't you exhausted? But it really energizes me and it makes me feel really good because I love distance running. Last November, I did, um, before the pandemic, of course, this was 2019, I did the Philadelphia Half Marathon and I absolutely loved it. And I just love running and listening to music. It calms me. It makes me feel like I am in the proper headspace to do, to do anything. It makes me feel powerful. And a lot of people think I am absolutely crazy for wanting to do that <laughs> before I compete and before I spin in circles um, and, and launch a ball on a string into the air. But <laughs> but it's something that makes me feel great. And I'm such a head case and I get really nervous when I compete. And that's something that makes me feel like I'm in the proper headspace. So it's something that works for me. Doesn't work for almost anybody else, but it works for me.
0: <laughs> well, and it makes you happy. Like you just talked about, It's it's something that Maybe, maybe other people see that and, and think that that's crazy, but but it works for you.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Just like maybe for some of the other throwers sitting in their room and playing video games works for them.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: If you could sit down for a meal with any famous person, living or past, who would it be?
1: One of my biggest inspirations as a scientist and as a woman has always been Jane Goodall. She is has been a major influence on my life and the educational path that I took in being a scientist and I have always wanted to meet her it's been like a huge like something I've I've always wanted to do and I've always wanted to talk to her and she is amazing because not only was she a woman and was doubted by so many in her field many many years ago but she also did not have um, much of a background education and went into her field with pure curiosity and discovered something phenomenal for those that don't know she is a primatologist and evolutionary biologist and she discovered that chimpanzees and um, other primates are able to use tools in the same way humans do which was huge in understanding evolution and evolutionary processes in the biological field and so many people doubted her and I try to embody her in my academics and in everything else I do in my life that regardless of how people doubt me because I'm a woman or because of any other factors that I bring to the table I can be like Jane Goodall and and do what people did not think was possible and be immensely successful. And she, I would, I would give so much to be able to sit down and have a cup of coffee with her or something.
0: Last question. This is Division Three Week, uh, a celebration by the NCAA of, of all the things that makes Division Three great. From your perspective, what is it about Division Three that that you like and and like about being a Division Three athlete?
1: I think it's it's so hard to answer this question because. I don't know what there's not to like about Division three because (laughs) I think it gives me the perfect balance of life, being able to go to practice, be with my friends, joke around, have fun, and then be serious at other times, but then also be able to go and do things like create body positive or be a research student or be a peer educator, which are all things I probably wouldn't have been able to do if I became a D1 athlete, which when you're a D1 athlete, you spend all of your time doing that sport. And that's amazing for people who love that. And, and that's the one thing that they want to do. And if that makes them happy, I'm here for it. But for me, I knew that I wanted I wanted to do sports and I wanted to do other things that would also bring me so much joy in my life. Because I really enjoy doing so many different things on this campus. And that's the best part about D3, having that balance. and. Being able to do anything that you want, if you sit down and you're like, I really want to create a club, you can do that at a at a D three school like Muhlenberg College. You can sit down and be like, I want to do this, and people will support you and have your back, especially your team and your coaches.
0: All right, great, great answer, Jill, and and lots of great answers uh, that you've given us. Been great talking to you. You know, once again, uh, if you want to follow Muhlenberg Body Positive on Instagram, it's at Muhlenberg B O D Y P O S. Um, Jill, you have your personal step-by-step Instagram account that, that you encourage people from all over the world to to follow uh, you on. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Muhlenberg Mules podcast and and continued success for you.
1: Thank you so much. The Muhlenberg Mules
0: podcast is a production of the Muhlenberg Office of Athletic Communications with Joe Widener, Zoe Keim, and Marty the Mule. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at Podcast at mulemberg.edu, or call our podline at 484-664-4001 and leave a message. We will answer questions in future episodes. The Muhlenberg Mules Podcast is available on Apple and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us and recommend us to your friends. For the latest in Muhlenberg College athletics, please follow us on social media at M-U-H-L underscore S-P-O-R-T-S. Until next week, Go Mules!